live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City. This is the Jeff Wagner Show. With all due respect, I reject your theory completely. But you know what? There needs to be some backlash to this. This would be disastrous. There really has to be a better way. And I think the biggest question here is, what the hell is going on? The Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 414-799-1620. Rue for president. Get in the race. Will he run? And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Well, this is why they play the game. The odds makers in Las Vegas do not think much of the Brewers' chances today. Uh, the Washington Nationals, a prohibitive favorite. Uh, to give you an idea, the money line on the Nationals is minus 175, which is enormous. What that means is if you were to bet $10 on the Nationals, you would get your t- and, the, and the Nationals were to win. You would get your $10 back, and you would get $5.70 on top of it. So you have to you have to bet $10 to win $15.70. That's not great odds at all. It reflects the fact that, uh, again, Las Vegas is giving no respect to the Brewers. And, you, you know, you kind of understand, I, I guess, you know, Washington's playing at home. Washington is hot. At the same time, I mean, the Brewers did win the head-to-head season series, and I appreciate that without – um, without Christian Yelich, you know, it, it's it's a tough battle. You know, the uh, Nationals have Max Scherzer going, and then they've got a couple of their other starting pitchers lined up after that. The Brewers are a battered-up team, even though they've had an absolutely tremendous September. I Again, I, I understand that they're not getting too much respect from Las Vegas, but like I say, that is why you play the game, and you will be able to hear every pitch. Full coverage on WTMJ. Our coverage starts, well, right around uh, 6 o'clock. But we're going to have all sorts of Brewers-related stuff all uh, day. Interesting weekend. You know, it's too bad. Too bad that they they couldn't have, I don't know, maybe won two games in Colorado. But you, you kind of understand how that all works out. Uh, great season. Great result. Whatever happens tonight, Go Brewers. All right, let us get started. A number of things we're going to talk about on today's program. And, yes, we will talk about the latest developments involving President Trump and the impeachment train. I, I just we're, we're not going to spend three hours on it. We're not going to spend two hours on it. We're not even going to spend an hour on it because, candidly, my sense is that people people are just dug in on this. And it, it doesn't it doesn't matter what people say about it. Folks have decided one way or the other how they feel about the impeachment of the president. And I think there's a large chunk of people that just want the whole thing to be over. I want to start, though, with something that happened in California over the last day or two. A new law that was signed into law in California by the governor, which essentially says, hey, If you're going to make $14 billion, you should share the wealth. $14 billion and the people that are responsible for you making all that money just don't get a piece of it. And it's an interesting theory. If you haven't been following this, California has become the first state in the country to pass a law regarding athletes who play for NCAA teams. The law says essentially that the NCAA is barred from stopping a, is barred from 
barring a university from competition if its athletes are compensated for the use of their name, image, or likeness beginning January 1st of 2023. So what this means, in essence, is that college basketball players and college football players and college soccer players or anything else in California are going to be able to cut deals where they essentially endorse shoes, where they sign autographs for money, where if there's a video game that's out there, the Madden equivalent of college sports, and it's going to feature you as a football player or you as a basketball player, you are entitled under the law to be paid for use of your name, your likeness, etc. And the NCAA is barred under California law from disciplining you or disciplining the school. Now, this is an extremely controversial provision. Don't get me wrong. And it's clearly going to be challenged in court. And how the courts are ultimately going to decide, I I don't know. It has long-range implications. Barry Alvarez was at WTMJ 2020 yesterday, and he said, look, in you know the short term, he, he would not be inclined to schedule games against schools from California because you, you don't know what the impact of this is going to end up being. You know, is the NCAA going to disqualify teams from California, and, and what is that going to mean? It also potentially would give a huge advantage to California schools in recruiting. Because I could say, hey, look, um, I want you, Grew, to come play football for UCLA. And here's the deal. You can go play football for Wisconsin, and you're going to get your room and board and tuition and a stipend. You come play for UCAA, UCLA, you're going to get all that dough. And by the way, you're really good. You're going to have a chance to make fifty, a hundred, two hundred thousand dollars on the side in endorsement deals. So it has a potential impact of if it goes into effect, and it's only in effect in California, creating a huge competitive imbalance giving incentives for players to go to the California schools because they could make money. Now, the other truth is most players aren't going to be making a whole bunch of money in endorsement deals. It would only be the stars. I don't know how the legal challenges are going to work out, and there's interesting issues about, you know, can California – impose this? Can they tell the NCAA that they don't have the right to impose their rules? That'll all be decided in the courts. And that's not the most interesting aspect. What I want to discuss with you is the underlying question. College sports, right now, it's a 14B as in billion dollar industry. That is how much money the schools rake in as a result of, again, putting on the football program, putting on the basketball program. All right. What do you think about the idea of the athletes not being paid salaries, but being able to cash in on their likenesses, on endorsements and things of the like? Should they be allowed to make money on the side in this fashion? 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I mean, the argument goes... Yeah, yes, they get their scholarships, and, and, and yes, they, they get their education, and there is a value to that. But if they can get value on top of that, 
Why shouldn't they be able to do it? 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Here is the issue. Should NCAA players be able to essentially get endorsement fees? Or would that totally destroy the college game? I'll tell you where I come down on this, and we will discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 414-799-1620. California has just become the first state in the country to pass a law that says college athletes can, starting in 2023, accept endorsement money, get autograph signings, things like that. Um, it's it's Look, it's certainly not going to affect every football player, but for the stars, it's going to give them an opportunity to make some money. And the argument goes for some of the players who aren't going to make it into the NFL or aren't going to go in the NBA, it's going to give them a chance to make some money on the side as well um, beyond and above simply room and board and the stipend. 414-799-1620. Dale in Genesee. Dale, you're on WTMJ. Yeah, hi, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Um, got a little different twist on this. I think it would be great just to have it for fourth-year athletes. It would make these guys stay in school and get a degree, hopefully. And look at what Wisconsin's going through. They're going to lose their top running back next year. And this kid's a smart kid. He could finish up his education and make a little money after he's put in all this time and effort. Okay, well, and, okay so I understand what you're saying. It would give an incentive maybe for some of the, the kids to stay in longer, get their degree and all that, as opposed exactly. to trying to go pro. Why Why not, though? Why just limit it to fourth year, though? I mean, if it's a good idea for fourth-year kids, why isn't it a good idea for first, second, and third-year kids? I'm not encouraging. I don't think uh, it's a good idea overall, but that would be the only way I could see where it would make sense to encourage more kids to get their degrees and also um, make the game a little better in college because you'd be keeping kids longer and they'd have more star athletes playing. Got it. Thanks for the perspective. I appreciate You know, I, look, I, I understand that this is one where – Maybe you're going to disagree with me on this. And, and again, I, I'm talking about the theory of this. I, I don't know that I'm convinced at all that California has the authority to pass a law which you know tells the NCAA, a national NCAA, a national rulemaking body, what its rules can be. So I, I, I have serious questions as to whether what they did is legal or not. Having said that, I'm not sure I have I, – I don't think I have that much of an issue with this. I mean, here here's the bottom line, and I, I appreciate that the college scholarships have a value. At the same time, what people need to realize is, as a general rule, these college scholarships that people, people get, it's they're, they're year to year. It's, it's, you know, if you don't make the team or you get hurt or whatever, I mean, they, they can cut you and you lose your scholarship. So I guess I look at this and I look at the fact that you've got colleges, the whole college sports industry, 14 B as in billion dollar industry. We're not saying you have to pay the kids, but we are saying if you've got kids that have an whatever, a cachet or appeal. I mean, seriously, if there's a, a video game manufacturer that, you know, is licensed to come out and do NCAA football and they're going to use your son, for example, in the football example, you know, your son is one of the players and the video game company is going to make money and the school is going to make money through the licensing fees, why shouldn't the player whose likeness is being used, why shouldn't that kid be able to make money? And if you've got a local car dealer, for example, that wants to have a 
autograph day for UW Badgers and people come out and they spend, you know, 20 bucks or whatever, you know, per autograph or for a group of autographs, why shouldn't the kids be able to do that as a way of supplementing, you know, what they're getting? And I'm not depreciating the value of what they get. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Tim in Fond du Lac. Tim, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Tim. What do you think? Well, let's let's go with basketball instead of football. Okay. Let's say USA, UCLA has five boosters willing to pay the top five high school recruits a hundred thousand dollars each. Is, is that fair to any any other teams? Well, I think you're you raise an interesting point because. It it doesn't seem to me. I think the NCAA either has to change the rules all across the board. Has to change if this is legal. I think they have to change the rules all across the board because, to your point, it would give UCLA an incredible recruiting advantage if they were able to do this. Sure. Yeah, that's, that'd be my only worry. I mean, do you, let let's talk about the the overall philosophy though. Do you have an issue? Uh, again, putting it putting aside the question of unfair, you know, unfair advantage for USC or UCLA or, or Cal or whatever, do you have an issue with the high school athletes getting the college athletes getting endorsement fees? Actually, I I, I sort of do. I mm-hmm. I, I'm more that, that the college makes money off of this, but they also pay for sports that don't make any money. Yep. So so I I it's I just think it's it's fair to everybody, not just the great athlete. But the, the you know the the guy on the second mm-hmm. string on the soccer team that still gets a scholarship. Yeah, so. yeah. yeah. Now I guess I mean one of the things. I mean thanks to call. I mean one of the I, I think this is. I mean the idea behind this is that you're you're not paying salaries. So theoretically, the money that would be going to the players would be in addition, something additional to the revenue that the schools would be getting. To your point about the, the whole idea of, of um, you know, you, you, use the, you use the revenue you get from football and basketball to support some of the non-revenue things. This would presumably be in addition. You know, so the idea is if, I, if I've got the video, I'm the video game operator and I want to license the NCAA basketball stuff and I want to use the likenesses of some of the current year players, I'd have to pay them in addition to having to pay the university. So the idea is it would be a supplement to as opposed to coming out of the university's pocket. Let's talk to William in Waukesha. William, you're in WTMJ. Hey, thanks for taking my call. Hey, I um, I support you know them getting uh, their money, um, and I know it's going to be a broad spectrum. Like I was telling uh, the producer, um, you know, someone like um, Taylor at Madison, if he wants to go sign autographs, you know, in the off season, right. um, he's going to make a lot more money than the kicker who made a game winning, you know, the game right. winning. So you know, it's in those NCAA double those NCAA video games. I mean, me and my friends used to buy that every year. Those sure. are, we like those more than Madison. Sure. So for the NCAA and the schools to make so much money off of, you know, not just the people breaking their backs on the court or the field. Um, I think, you know, give them a couple thousand here and there, and obviously some players are going to make more than the others. I don't think it's going to be that big a deal. And then we can cut this controversy of, you know, a shoe store giving an athlete right. a free pair of shoes that comes back. Now they're suspended for the whole year or someone signing autographs, you know. Right. I think they're going to make a lot of money, but I don't think it's anything that's going to take away from the game. And, you know, the clubs can make their own rules. Hey, you can you can go make money signing autographs, but it has to be in the off season. 
and right. it has to be this. I think it's going to be regulated well. Right. Well, I mean, thanks. I mean, I, I just, I see. To me, one of the most compelling reasons justifying this again, it's it's the whole video game thing because you, you were saying it's this huge industry. And, you know, if if all of a sudden, imagine that it's you. Okay, you're a college football player. You're a college basketball player. You, you do well. And yet, yes, you're getting your education. But all of a sudden, it's not just the tickets that people are buying. It's not just the TV revenue. All of a sudden, you've got this whole side business. And you see yourself up. Hey, that that's the image of, you know, me up on that, that, that the video game thing that they're selling for however much they sell the video games for. They're getting money using your likeness and you're not entitled to anything i I think it's it's all the auxiliary stuff that kind of bothers me i don't think this is going to be the end of college sports i also think it's going to be something that will benefit the the vast number of college athletes who don't don't go on to play in the pros. Yeah, so they're going to make a little bit of money on the side. Well, okay, so what? A lot of these kids, not all, but a lot of these kids come from very, very poor backgrounds. And it, if it can help give them a leg up in life, I, I'm not sure I see what the problem with this is. Now, like I say, this is a long way from coming to fruition. California signed the, the governor signed the law this week. There's going to be all sorts of legal challenges. But I don't think it's going to be the end of the world if this is upheld. This is Jeff Wagner. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. All right. Yesterday we had our big WTMJ 2020 event down at the uh, Potawatomi Hotel and Casino. Lots of guests. It's uh, You can hear the various interviews and the various segments. They're posted at WTMJ.com. But interestingly enough, uh, and I, I think all my colleagues, my teammates, did a great job with their various panels. I, I, I said this behind his back, so I will. I said it to his face, so I will say it when he is not sitting in the room. I thought John McCure uh, did an outstanding job. Um, he had a one. He had a law enforcement panel, and Milwaukee, the Milwaukee police chief Alfonso Morales was one of the guests. And right out of the box, uh, John asked Chief Morales what, what I think a lot of people have been speculating on, which is, okay, what's the deal? Your term, you know, he was hired to fill out the term of Ed Flynn when Ed Flynn kind of un- was unceremoniously dumped. Um, that expires early next year. So you've got all sorts of stuff that's going on. And, and John asks the chief, okay, what what's the deal? You know, are, have, have you talked to the mayor? Has the mayor told you he wants you back? Has the fire and police commission, you know, what? What is the deal? What's going on? And uh, Chief Morales said, well, I want to come back. And I've had conversations with the mayor and I've had conversations with the Fire and Police Commission. And I think they're going to be announcing a, a process later on this week. And if you look at the Fire and Police Commission schedule, there is an, an annotation. There's supposed to be a discussion about the future of Chief Morales coming up on on Thursday. But I, I mean, I give McCure credit for pushing that question. Here are my thoughts on this. Now, the reason this is partly an issue is because to the extent the police chief has politics, his politics are not necessarily the same as the mayor's. And that has led to speculation that the mayor might like somebody who is more politically attuned to him. Let me just say this, and this is my message to the mayor and the Fire and Police Commission. Being an urban police chief is a difficult and thankless 
job. And what typically happens is after a period of time, no matter how much of a reformer that person is, the person the job is chief chief wears out his welcome. That that inevitably happens. When it comes to Alfonso Morales, he is not close to having worn out his welcome. I think one of the things that really impacted Ed Flynn over his last several years as Milwaukee police chief is he got caught up in, in political whirlwinds. I think he went against his better judgment on multiple positions and allowed himself to say, okay, I want to, I want to curry favor with the mayor. And I understand technically the police chief, um, reports to the fire and police commission, but the mayor is the one who nominates the members of the fire and police commission. So it's, if you think, that, you know, you, you don't need the support of the mayor and the mayor's backing to stay as an urban police chief. You are very, very wrong. I think where Ed Flynn went wrong is I think in multiple occasions, he'll never acknowledge this, but he sacrificed his best judgment to go along with ideas and some progressive thoughts that Tom Barrett had. And it just it ended up not working out. And I think it cost him the trust of the community. I think it cost him the trust of rank and file officers. So Alfonso Morales came into this situation. Um, it was a very, very difficult situation. I think the rank and file. Now, look, I understand that there's always issues between, you know, labor and management. So I'm not saying everything's been perfect. But I think in general, members of the Milwaukee Police Department respect Chief Morales. I think he's also, you know, dealing with the the different on-duty deaths we've had of multiple police officers during his tenure. I, I think he's done an admirable job of keeping morale up, striking the right tone when it comes to, you know, the very, very difficult issues that face an urban police department where you've got a lot of people out there that want uh, the police department to be tougher and more proactive and more aggressive when it comes to crime versus the other people who think, oh, we don't want the police department to be an occupying force, etc., etc. I think one of the real travesties of this process is that Tom Barrett has not publicly sent out signals. Tom Barrett should have six months ago, eight months ago, a year ago, been very, very aggressive in coming out and saying, look, Alfonso Morales, the police chief, has done a great job. I have his back. I am 100% behind him. I am in favor of him being renewed. If Barrett had been more aggressive in endorsing the police chief like he should have been months ago, all right, we wouldn't have all this different types of speculation and people wouldn't be wondering, is this a lame duck police chief, especially given the fact that you've got the DNC coming here, you know, next year. Same thing is true with the Fire and Police Commission. I think, you know, public expressions of support for the police chief are long overdue. Now, the people I know close to this process say that at the end of the day, it is much, much more likely than not that um, Chief Morales will be renewed for a full term. That's what I fully anticipate will happen. It's not going to make everybody happy, but it's going to be the right thing to do. It is just unfortunate to me, though, like I say, that Mayor Barrett has not been more expressive in coming out and throwing his support 110% behind Chief Morales, because the bottom line is, right now at this point in Milwaukee's history, and I don't know that it's going to be this way three years from now or five years from now, but right now, 
I think Alfonso Morales is the guy to lead the Milwaukee Police Department. And his politics might not completely align with the mayor, but but who cares? I mean, law enforcement isn't about liberal or conservative. It's not about Republican or Democrat. It's about making the city safe inspiring your troops to want to come to work and do their job on a daily basis under difficult circumstances and looking out to protect and serve the community. And I think from a leadership perspective, the chief has done a great job. Mayor Barrett would be well served to give a hearty endorsement to the chief, urging the Fire and Police Commission to do the same. I think he's going to be re-upped. That's what all my sources tell me is most likely to happen. But, you know, this shouldn't even be be a controversy. He's been good for Milwaukee. When we come back, hey, beer guy, stick around. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. We're going to talk about the latest developments in Washington coming up in about 20 minutes or so. Well, yesterday at WTMJ 2020, uh, Greg Matzik hosted a, a sports panel. It was really very cool. Bud Selig was there and Mark Murphy from the Packers and uh, John Horst and Peter Fagan from the Bucks. And uh, did I mention Bud Selig was there? And yet Barry Alvarez from you know UW-Wisconsin. And it was really interesting because one of the questions that they asked Barry Alvarez was about beer at Camp Randall. Now, I, I go to Marquette basketball games, and because Marquette first played at the Bradley Center, now they play at Pfizer Forum, and they were off campus, you have always been able to buy beer at Marquette games. Always able to buy beer, except, interestingly, when Marquette used to host the NCAA basketball tournament, then they didn't sell beer. <laughs> that, now, I think that rule has changed. But for the regular games, you, you could go and you, you could buy beer. Now, I don't see a, a lot of, you know, fall-down drunken students because they sell 8 or $10 beers at Fiserv Forum. All right? Wisconsin, University of Wisconsin football, Camp Randall, is one of a decreasing number of football stadiums, college football stadiums, where they do not sell beer. For example, I was just looking at some of the um, other Big Ten universities. Um, Illinois, they're going to sell beer. Indiana sells beer. Um, Maryland, University of Maryland, sells beer. Uh, Let's see. Minnesota is considering that. Northwestern does not sell beer. Ohio State allows you to buy two beers per person per transaction before the end of halftime. They cut it off. Penn State allows you to sell beer. Purdue allows you to sell beer. Rutgers sells beer at the university. So that just gives you an idea. Wisconsin does not. Yesterday at WTMJ 2020, Barry Alvarez said, well, I, you know, we are, we're looking at this, and I think that um, in a matter of time, whatever that means, you can expect beer sales in Camp Randall. Now, what Barry Alvarez said was, it's not really just because we want the revenue, and he said, well, it's not revenue related at all, 
But, you know, the truth is, you know, it, it's going to generate a bunch of revenue. He said, but the other issue is, you know, we, we think what happens is by not selling beer, it encourages people to, you know, not be there for the beginning of the game. You've got all sorts of, you know, college kids in particular who stay outside. They do the tailgating. They drink a whole bunch, maybe even engaging in binge drinking before they come into the stadium because they know they're not going to be able to get beer. He says, look, we, we think it would get more people in on time and maybe, just maybe, we'd have people less liquored up when they are coming in. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let's tee this up. All right. For those of you, and I know there's a lot of people out there who regularly attend UW football games. All right. Would it be the end of the world if they sold beer in Camp Randall? Now, obviously, you'd have the same limitations you have at the Pfizer Forum or you have at all these other universities. You'd have to be aware of underage drinking. You'd have to card people. You'd have to put, you know, limits on it. I'm not saying you let somebody go up and buy 12 beers. But, all right, it generates revenue. It makes it arguably more attractive to fans because you can stay home and you can drink beer if you want. It might even eliminate some of the binge drinking that goes on. Beer at Camp Randall, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And again, understanding that you, you might disagree with me on this one, I think the time has come. I, I just, I, I really, I, I really do. And part of the thing that informs me about that is that, like I say, I go to the Marquette basketball games. That You've always been able to buy beer there. I, the, you know, the, the problem with, like, the sloppy fall-down drunks isn't the people that are going in and spending eight or ten or twelve dollars for beers inside the stadium? You know, it's people that are getting liquored up outside. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Jeff, I was at the Northwestern game this weekend. At the beginning of the game, the entire student section was empty. It did not fill into the until the first quarter was almost done. That's that's what um, Barry Alvarez, I think, was talking about. He said, "Look, you know, we, we've got a lot of the students who just, I mean, they stay outside. They and they end up partying. They drink more maybe than they should in some cases, and then they come into the game late." If we were to join the ongoing trend of universities that allow you to buy beer in a controlled setting inside the stadium, you know, they'd come in earlier. They'd also make a whole bunch of money. Let's talk to Bill in Milwaukee. Hi, Bill. How you doing, Jeff? Good. What do you think? Hey, listen, I've been going to Wisconsin games since the early 70s, going quite a few years. I mean, I've seen when people were, were sneaking stuff in, you know, uh, Mm-hmm. Liquor, putting it in coke and everything. You're getting this and so many people, you know, they're getting, you know, they're getting way out of hand. I, I guess the only way I guess I would have, would accept selling beer is I like what Ohio State does. Cut it I, off I at halftime. They cut I, off I the sales not, at halftime. That is correct. I mm-hmm. would go for that because I'm just telling you, we already have enough of a drinking problem mm-hmm. here in Wisconsin. Yeah, I guess. Thanks to, and, and I mean, obviously, you're going to put a, a limit on on when. I mean, at, for example, at Brewers games, you know, they cut off beer sales at the end of the seventh inning, and their thinking is, you know, we don't want to contribute to drunken driving and stuff like that. Yeah, I don't know when the appropriate time is to cut it off. I guess to your point, though, uh, d- does it 
does it encourage a drunker crowd if you sell a couple of beers there? And I, the, the best example I can give, and this is where former Sheriff David Clark and I, we, we, we disagreed. Number of years ago, Estabrook Park, right to the east of where I'm sitting now, Estabrook Park wanted to open up a beer garden. And the, the sheriff opposed it. He said, oh, this is going to lead to all these drunken problems in the park and things like that. My point was, no, the problems you have with, with the out-of-control drinkers is, you know, the, the kids that go, it's the underage kids that go buy, you know, a case of beer and go out into the woods and pound it down. It's not the people that are going to the beer garden and are sitting and, and are buying beers at, you know, 8 to $10 a beer and paying a deposit on the glass. That's not the problem. Now, I, I think it's pretty clear I've been proved right, though the beer gardens, not just at Estabrook Park, but all throughout Milwaukee County, We've expanded them. They are a success. They are attracting people. They're bringing them to the to the grounds. I would say the same thing would be true about Camp Randall. The idea that I mean that you know you're going to have these college kids. If you're worried about the binge drinking and the people coming in dead drunk and all that type of stuff, it's it's because they're out in the parking lot pounding down God knows what and then, you know, trying to drink their fill so they can stumble into the game. It's not going to be because they come in and while they're sitting and watching the football game, they want to have one $10 beer or two $10 beers. That, that's just I, – I just don't think that makes sense. I, I think – you know, you have to obviously watch it, but at least if you're dealing with the drinking that's inside the game, you know, you've got the vendors, you've got some degree of control, you've got the security on it. And and I, I understand that while Barry Alvarez didn't want to portray this as a matter of revenue, I mean, it is a matter of revenue. I mean, I think, and I don't think there's anything wrong with this. I mean, why not make some extra dough as long as you can do it in a controlled sort of fashion? And like I say, you now see more than 50 schools, you know, um, who are, that they're saying, okay, we're going to do this. And you see any reports of these huge problems or anything like that, I, I think, Barry Alvarez is exactly right. I think this is an idea. It's going to come sooner or later. And, again, I'll, I'll give you my example. Going to Marquette basketball games, which I understand is different than Wisconsin football games, but, I, you know, I don't see out-of-control drunken kids in the student section because of beer they bought at Pfizer Forum or the Bradley Center, and I doubt that would happen at Camp Randall. This is Jeff Wagner. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. So, Melissa, what are we supposed to believe? Now, I am old enough to remember when we were told, okay, don't don't drink, drink red wine, that's bad for you. Then we were told, okay, drink red wine because it's going to be good for you, then don't drink it. I don't know what the, the advice is, but sure. I mean... You, I, I, you know, we, we go through these periods where they say, oh, eat this, don't eat this, you know, and it seems it switches on a regular basis. Yes, I would agree. So I have good news for my friend and golfing buddy, Mike. My buddy, Mike, a carnivore. Mike loves his meat. Yes. Mike's idea of, of happy is is just, <laughs> you know, ret- retreating to his man cave and then going out on his deck. He and doesn't grilling. even use silverware. Right. It's just, just being a, right. Yeah, exactly. Rah. He's a carnivore. He just, you know, <laughs> retreating. You know, he, he wants the, the, the big old steak and stuff. That, that's my mm-hmm, buddy, Mike. Mm-hmm. And he washes it down with Bud Light, you know, and it's kind of <laughs> like, I, you know, you know, but I mean, we're, we're soon going to be told. I mean, I am convinced that, you know, if you live long enough, you're soon going to be told that all these things, everything, you know, bad is good and vice versa. So the news out yesterday, you see this big story now, after being told for years and years and years that we are supposed to eat less red meat, see the new studies now they're saying, 
well, never mind, you know, all these things that we've been telling people. Actually, we've done all these new studies, and we found that red meat, it, it's, it's not going to hurt you at all. So go ahead. Well, I mean, it just shows. I think everything in moderation is okay. You know, if you yeah. don't eat it like every day and you're eating it for every meal, that might be a little extreme. But, but then if, if you're on the Atkins diet, maybe that would be good. I don't well, know. I, you know, well, you know, because that's it. But it's, it's interesting. I'm looking at the story in the New York Times. Public health officials for years have urged Americans to limit consumption of red meat mm-hmm. and processed meat because of the concerns that these foods are linked to heart disease, cancer, and other ills. Monday, in a remarkable turnaround, an international collaboration of researchers produced a series of analyses concluding that the advice a bedrock of almost all dietary guidelines is not backed by good scientific evidence Um, if there are health benefits from eating less beef and pork they are small the researchers concluded indeed the advantages are so faint that they can be discerned only discerned only when looking at large populations the scientists said and are not sufficient to tell individuals to change their meat eating habits now in fairness the american heart association and the american cancer society are going ballistic about this they're <laughs> saying they are. no these 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 aren't yeah. true at all but again it's like where do you go for information and who do you believe that is a great question. I try to just, again, I, I go back to the moderation thing. I eat pretty much what I want, but just don't overdo it too much. Yeah. Um, does this change? Do you eat a lot? I don't eat a lot of red meat, so I eat a lot of chicken. I, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't, eat, I don't eat a lot of red yeah, meat just really for a variety change. of things because of cholesterol and stuff like that. But I mean, yeah. I, I, I like, but I like a good steak every oh, once in a while. Oh, a- absolutely. So good. But, it, but again, it is kind of this frustrating thing that for you sure. wonder, okay, uh, you know, we went through this a while back with aspirin. It used to be the recommendation was take a baby, take a, a small aspirin every day, you know, for heart things. Now they're saying, well, maybe that doesn't have any sort of effect at all. And, you know, you got to talk to your own doctor and well, figure it out. And the same thing happened with butter, too. Don't eat butter. And then now you can eat butter because the margarine has plastic in it or something like that. You know, it's I, right. <laughs> I think you. Yeah, I don't know. Well, I thought of my buddy, Mike, when I saw this story. And again, I, I I'm not a doctor. I do not play one on the on the radio so you know you talk to your own doctor about your dietary needs and things like that but i thought about my buddy mike because like i say he is an regardless of whether it was good for him or not he is a carnivore and now he's at least gotten some some buttressing to do that that's good and and they said that about eggs as well and i eat eggs every single day remember that is like cholesterol don't don't yeah i i I eat eggs i eat eggs every day yeah yeah. and i i will i again I, I try to watch my carbs, you know, and in, in sure, like the sugars yeah. and stuff. And, and, eggs, and eggs are a freebie. Eggs fill you up. Yeah, they fill yeah, you up. I mean, it's good protein. Yeah, it's a freebie. I mean, my breakfast is, man, we'll make me a couple eggs mm-hmm. and I have some fruit and stuff. That's that's the breakfast. And it fills me up and it's good. And, and it's no carbs healthy. and things like that. Yes. We're going to see something saying, okay, the eggs are going to kill you. It's, you know what's going to you – know, blueberries are the superfood. I don't particularly like blueberries, but I eat blueberries because they're good for me. So I, I eat them. And my wife puts them in front of me. I'm waiting for the thing that comes out and says blueberries. You know all this stuff about the superfood. <laughs> oh, no. Blueberries are yeah, killers or yeah. something. So, hopefully <laughs> that will never happen. I am working my way through that. Absolutely. So just you know, just be mindful. And I think I'm with Melissa. Everything in moderation. All right. If you turn on the national talking head shows, you, you know that it's pretty much all impeachment all the time. Now, one of the reasons, and I know it frustrates some of you because I, I, I get the emails and I get the texts. One of the reasons that I, I'm not as obsessed with this as some people are is because I live in this place called the real world and I understand what is going to happen. 
we have an election coming up in, what, 13 months or so, where America is going to decide whether or not they want four more years of Donald Trump as the president. So everything that's playing out now is played out against the the backdrop of the election that's coming up in November of 2020. So you, you you have some Democrats who have viewed the Trump presidency as being illegitimate from the beginning, who have been searching desperately for a way to, in an effort to appease the the left wing of the party, to get the impeachment train rolling. And so now you you see this based on a a phone call with the president of the Ukraine. And so now there's the whole thing. Well, you know, now look what's happened. You know, the attorney general, he's uh, been directed to, you know, investigate. He's talked to the Australian prime minister about, you know, whether or not, you know, Australia could help determine, you know, where some of these unfounded rumors or reports about Donald Trump came from, etc. And you, you have everybody in this, you know, this high state of dungeon, um, you know, nationally. And you, you've got, you know, the far left, the, the heads are exploding. Hey, the impeachment train is leaving. One of the reasons, there's actually two reasons that I, I, I it's tough for me to get excited about this. First, I don't believe the president has committed an impeachable offense. Do I think he showed the best judgment in his phone call with the Ukrainian prime minister? No. But candidly, there's all sorts of things that I think Donald Trump does that I don't think necessarily expresses the the best judgment. But that's different than saying that you have committed either a high crime or a misdemeanor. So I, I don't think he's committed an impeachable offense, even though he would have been much better off just not not obsessing with the idea because could have said, hey, look, we're very concerned about corruption in the Ukraine. If he would have just stayed away from the whole Biden issue, it it would have been just absolutely fine. But he's opened up this particular can of worms. But do I think that's an impeachable offense? No, I don't. Secondly, again, I live in the real world. And here's the bottom line of this. Donald Trump is not going to be removed from office. And and, and that's, that's just the reality here. You need, is it possible that the House of Representatives on an almost party line vote will, over the course of the next couple months, vote to impeach the president? Yes, that is possible. Don't know if it's going to occur, but it is possible. Is there any realistic chance that the United States Senate is going to remove President Trump from office well, let's say the impeachment proceedings don't get concluded till the end of the year. So you have the trial in the Senate in January, February. Is the United States Senate going to remove Donald Trump seven, eight, nine months before the 2020 election? And the answer is it's not going to happen. It's just not. You would need 20 U.S. senators who are Republicans to vote with all the Democrats, assuming it was a straight party line vote, to get the two thirds. It's not going to happen. So this is all this exercise, in my opinion, in political theater that's as Shakespeare would say, sound and fury, that at the end is going to signify nothing. The American public is going to make its judgment of Donald Trump in November of 2020, and he will have to live with that. So it's tough for me to get worked up over the impeachment thing because it's not going anywhere at the end of the day. And candidly, I'm fatigued about it. 
I mean, I'm just, I'm fatigued about it. It has been this three years of let's try to investigate Donald Trump. Let's see if we can find something to bring him out of office. Let's try to find something that we can get people incensed and upset, et cetera, et cetera. To me, this is all political theater. And I guess I understand the political theater. I understand it is all done with an eye towards 2020. But I, for one, I'm tired of it already. I, I just am because I understand where this is going to be going. I understand you can send out all the subpoenas you want and you can conduct all the depositions you want and it's not going to change anything. And I guess I would like to see Congress deal with some of the things that I was talking about yesterday during my finance panel on at WTMJ 2020. Let's talk about Social Security. Let's talk about interest rates. Let's talk about, you know, tax policy. Let's talk about how we can put people to work. Our number is 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I admit, I already have impeachment fatigue and... Well, on the one hand, it's been going on for three years, but on the other hand, it's only started. 414-799-1620. All right, is it just time for people to move on, or is this vital to the country? We've got to do everything we can to throw Donald Trump out of office over the course of the next couple months, even though there's no realistic chance of this happening. 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Candidly, I, I just look at it. I shake my head. I want the government to do what we elected people to do, which is to try to figure out how to better the conditions of the average people. 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 414-799-1620. Jeff, he could very well get impeached. If you've seen a Fox News article, there are 40 Republicans in private said that they are not in favor of the president. They won't say it publicly, but in privately, they are not in favor of him. Sorry, Jeff, you're part of the problem. No, no. It's one thing to be not in favor of President Trump. It's another thing to say, gee, I believe he committed an impeachable offense for which he should be removed from office. They are two completely and totally different things. Um, 414-799-1620. It's impeachment all the time because it sure appears Donald got caught violating the oath, violating the Constitution. You and your tribe don't want to accept that. Fine. The inquiry will help determine who is right, and the inquiry may illuminate new evidence that could sway 20-plus Republicans. It's not. It's just not going to happen. And again, this is a president who's been subject to one inquiry after another for the last several years. And at some point in time, I think the fatigue steps in. Uh, let's see. 414-799-1620. Jeff, it's not going to happen. They won't work on immigration, taxation, or anything that's beneficial to the United States of America because the Democrats don't want Donald Trump and the Republicans to get credit for doing something good. Jeff, I'm not for either side, but this constant searching for the next shiny object with Trump is so exhausting. I believe if the Democrats pursue impeachment, it will nearly guarantee re-election. The Democrats and the press are having the opposite impact they're looking for. If I'm tired of it, I can only imagine that most of the nation feels the same way. Jeff, I agree with you, but I really hope he is impeached so the Republicans can find a candidate that I will actually vote for. Um, well, 
I, again, I understand the frustration people have with President Trump. I, I get it. And if you've been a regular listener in my program for the last four years, you understand that I share a lot of that frustration. At the same time, I mean, this has been, and I don't like to use the phrase witch hunt. Um, I, I think in many respects, you know what happened with the Russia investigation turned into a, a witch hunt. But, I, you know, looking at this, you know, I, I people, I say, okay, what, what is what is the crime that was committed? What What is the impeachable offense? And the line is, well, okay, there, there's not necessarily a crime here. But, you know, it, it, it's unseemly or he shouldn't have asked this or, or whatever. And, and and I don't disagree. I think he would have been so much better off if you just had left the Joe Biden name out of the thing. But are we seriously going to remove somebody from office because of that? And, and my answer would be no. 414-799-1620. Now, if you want to spend the next 13 months or probably the next actually six months going down this route, fine. We know, I think, where it is going to end up, and it's not going to change anybody's mind. But if that's where you want, how you want to spend the next six months or, or so, I, I guess fine. I would rather have us try to figure out some of the more pressing problems, because at the end of the day, you know, the American public is going to decide whether or not Donald Trump deserves another four years in office, and that decision is coming up in about a year. Jermaine on the north side. Hi, Jermaine. You're on WTMJ. Hi. What do you I'm think? Calling in about the uh, investigations of sure. Donald Trump. Yeah, I, I'm not tired of it. Uh, I think that if he can exhibit that type of lawlessness in the White House, that it is the same type of lawlessness that we have in the city of Milwaukee, the running red lights, stop signs. Should we just say, oh, okay, it's just a misdemeanor, let it go? Tell me what type of of lawlessness do you think the president engaged in? To to ask a president of a foreign country to investigate a U.S. citizen for political motivation, that doesn't bother you? Well, okay, you say for political motivation. I mean, first of all, if this were not Joe Biden, if it were Jeff Wagner, and there was rumors that I had been involved in committing crimes. Um, would you have a problem if the, in the involved the Ukraine? Would you have a problem with President Trump said, you know, there's these reports that this Wagner fellow's been doing this, and we'd really appreciate you cooperating with us to try to get to the bottom of it. If it was me, not Joe Biden, would you have a problem? Yes. Oh. I don't think what who side. I don't think any U.S. president ought to be trying to catch another U.S. citizen and something that's wrong. Well, so if 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 you have a U.S. citizen who may have committed crime, and I'm, I, I'm going to get past the by, but just in theory, a U.S. Right. citizen who may have committed crimes or may have been involved in illegal dealing in the Ukraine and in the United States, you, you think it's wrong for a president to say to another president, hey, we're investigating this guy and we'd like you to help us out? The, the Ukraine has already did their investigation yeah. on it. They didn't prosecute it. Right. Why are you meddling in that when, there's, as you would say, there's so much other things to take care of? Well, and that's what... Except why. for, it, 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 set, it set the wrong precedence, and as Nancy Pelosi says, you can't say... As, 
as an executive order or, or whatever your presidential privileges is, I can do it whatever I want, and you can't say anything about it. That's not true. Well, I think you can say, I mean, thanks. I, look, I think you can say something about it and, and you can criticize. You can say, look, this is un, this is unseemly. And as I said at the start of this thing, it would have been I, I sometimes I think Trump can't help himself. And, and I think the, you know, the Wall Street Journal about a week ago described this phone call as this political narcissism that that President Trump sees everything through. How does this affect me? And, and would he have been well advised to just, you know, leave the whole Joe Biden thing out? You know, if, if the call had just simply been, um, you know, we understand there's been a lot of problems with corruption in the Ukraine, in, including maybe involving, you know, some people, you know, from the U.S. government. And we really want to redouble our efforts to try to get to the bottom of this. This wouldn't be an issue. It, it becomes an issue because. He says, and one of those things involves the stuff with Biden and his kid, and we'd like you to look at it. Okay, I I think he would have been much better off and well advised to just not bring up Biden's name. Okay, but the truth of the matter is, nothing came of of that. I mean, what ended up happening is the Ukraine got its its funding. Um, it's not like there was some witch hunt lost launched into Biden's kid. It's not like anything happened as a result of this. And while I concede that it is probably unseemly and I wish he hadn't done it again, I keep looking at what is the impeachable offense here? What is the crime that's going to remove him from office? And I'm not seeing it. And I, I get that people want to have this investigated, but let me just tell you, it's not going to change anybody's minds. I mean, the people that are convinced that Donald Trump is a crook, well, Donald Trump is a crook. They're not going to vote for him. They're going to be motivated to vote against him. The people that think this is all a witch hunt, well, they think it's a witch hunt and, you know, they're going to rise to the defense of Donald Trump. At the end of the day, we're going to see where this all plays out, but we're going to see, at least in my opinion, where it plays out next November. This is Jeff Wagner. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. As I started out the program, Las Vegas, what do they know? Las Vegas, the bookies, the bookmakers, the odds makers do not think much of the Brewers' chances tonight. Um, but, but again, what 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 do they know? Here, here here's the deal: the Washington Nationals, what they call the money line, the Nationals are, are minus one seventy five. What that means is, you would have to. If you bet on the Nationals, you would have to bet $175 to win $100. So you'd have to put up almost double what you would get back. You'd have to bet $175 to win $100. The Brewers, on the other hand, are plus um, $160. So what that means is if you bet $100 on the Brewers, you would get $160 back. So uh, it's – and that's a pretty big spread. That's – that is Las Vegas deciding that they think that the Nationals are going to take care of the Brewers. They may very well be right. And, I again, I I, I want to see the Brewers win. I want to see them go on and play in Los Angeles. I, I As somebody who's you know a, a partial season ticket holder, I've already got my tickets lined up to the game if there is a game Sunday afternoon. I'd love, I'd love, I'd love, I'd love to go to a Brewers playoff game. Don't know if it's going to happen. Um, candidly, I, I think losing your the best, arguably one of the two or three best players, if not the best player in Major League Baseball, Christian Yelich, that the September of this team has had, they've been doing it with mirrors. Craig Council is, in my opinion, by far and away the National League Manager of the Year. Nobody's even close um, as a result of what the Brewers have done. 
it would be is it an uphill battle tonight yeah but like i say that's that's why you play the games but if you happen to be listening to me and uh, streaming and you're out in las vegas um and you believe in the brewers there is money to be had i'm not encouraging people to bet or do anything like that i'm just saying the las vegas odds makers they don't see the brewers as uh they they don't they don't think they're going to do it i don't know that's why we play the game all right Hey, honey, I'm doing, going down to the corner store. I want to get some Diet Coke. I want to get a quart of milk. And, hey, can you pick me up a pound of pot? I bring this up because over the course of the last, like, month and a half or two, I have been in various communities where pot marijuana is, in fact, legal. A couple weeks ago, our, our river cruise down the Rhine, we started in Amsterdam. Spent a couple days in Amsterdam. And um, let me put it like this. We, you know, there, Amsterdam, as you're walking around, I, I loved Amsterdam, a city with a pulse. As you're walking through these, these various narrow alleys that have all the storefronts and stuff, it reminded me of a rock concert in 1978. I mean, overwhelming smell of marijuana. All, everywhere you go, it smells of marijuana. Because people are walking down the street and they're smoking dope. You go, you go into these various bars and it's interesting because some bars don't allow everybody smokes over there cigarettes, but but some bars are very clear that you're not allowed to smoke marijuana in the bars while while you're drinking. Others don't necessarily care. But you know you just you see all these people wandering around and they're all half stoned. I'm sorry, I exaggerate. They're not all half stoned. Several are 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 half stoned, and it's interesting. There's all these like storefronts in Amsterdam where they're they're, they're they sell food, you know, all sorts of different things, and there are these long lines to get all these different types of food, French fries, all these type of things. I mean, really long lines, 30, 40, 50 people standing in the rain, and I'm going, gosh, I wonder what's so special about this food. And my wife says, Jeff, they're all stoned. They have the munchies. And there's probably something to that. So, but but you see all these shops too. You you walk through the streets and you see all these. I, I'm going to call them head shops. You know, going back to the you know the the 70s and stuff, where they're selling pot. They're selling pot paraphernalia, and and there's just a ton of them around. All right. So that was then. Couple weeks before that, I was in uh, Vail. We spent a weekend out in Colorado, and of course, you know, it, it's also pot is legal there. Now, the area where we were is a little bit more upscale, so there weren't, I think, as many pot stores as you would necessarily find if you were walking down the street in in Denver or something like that. But there were, you know, in all these different strip malls, you know, you'd have. The Planet Fitness, and you'd have the nail salon, and you'd have the Jimmy John's, and you'd have the pot store. And I'm thinking, huh, you know, all right, that's that's the strip mall, and you've got the pot store that's there. Now, I bring this up because there is a huge debate in this state right now about whether we should follow the lead that a number of other states have had, including some states in our immediate area, and just legalized not only medical marijuana, but medical, but marijuana in, in general. And there was a story in the Journal Sentinel the other day talking about billions of dollars being at stake as we, you know, vote to legalize this and all. Well, I, I, I wanted to talk about this from a, a slightly more practical point of view, because if you legalize marijuana and if you then allow people to sell marijuana at these various stores, that means the stores are going to be located in places. And I thought brought this up because the Los Angeles Times had a story today 
most Californians want marijuana stores in their communities. Poll says, here's the first paragraph. Three years after California voters legalized the sale of recreational marijuana, 68% said it has been a good thing. And although many cities have outlawed pot shops, most voters want their municipalities to permit the stores, according to this poll. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I want you to think of your neighborhood. All right, think of the strip mall down the block. Think of the shopping center that you go for your groceries and your dry cleaning and the liquor store and all that different type of stuff and the drugstore. Okay, think of that. Do you want a pot store in your neighborhood? 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. It's a simple question. 414-799-1620. And, and be honest. And I, I understand because you got to understand if you're going to legalize marijuana, you're going to have to. I mean, there's going to have to be places to buy it. I mean, do you want that going in? Do you want that store going into the strip mall next to you? Do you want that going in next to the grocery store? I mean, do you want the pot store down the block from where you live? Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. We discuss in just a minute. And be honest. This is Jeff Wagner. Back to take your calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. This is going to be an interesting conversation. We, we were in Amsterdam before we started our river cruise, and of course, pot is legal there. Um, you, you walk down the streets, and there is the overriding smell of dope. It, it is. It's like being at a rock concert in 1978, and. I mean, the truth is, if we were in, for example, in Wisconsin, if we were to legalize it, you would have pot stores springing up all over. And my question is a simple one. You know, how would you feel about, hey, that that next to the corner drugstore, you've got the Walgreens and then you've got, you know, the haircut place and then you've got the pot store. How would you feel about that in your neighborhood? 414-799-1620. Let's start with Jerry in Ozaki County. Hi, Jerry. Hi, how you doing? I am well, thank you. Pot store down the street from you. Would you care? Absolutely. Would rather have that than a bar any day of the week. Okay, tell me why. I'll tell you. I ran bars for 25 years. Fights, drunkenness, peeing in public, <laughs> always issues. Pot smokers, they just sit there, maybe want to go out to eat and get something to eat. They're relaxed. They're fun. Okay. No problem with it. So it would just be kind of a a, a, a mellow crowd as opposed to a, a kind of unruly, disruptive crowd. Absolutely. Okay. Good enough. Thanks for call. Appreciate. It. By the way, there's not a right or wrong answer here. I just, I I am genuinely curious because, like I say, I saw this story in the L.A. Times where they many cities, even though it's legal in in California. In general, many cities still have bans on pot stores. They won't license them. And that, of course, raises the question, do you want a pot store in your neighborhood? 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Lloyd in West Dallas. Lloyd, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Lloyd. Lloyd. Hi, Hi, Lloyd. Hi. My two cents worth is, for one thing, they've lost the battle just like they did with booze and prohibition. If they legalized Happy Hay, uh, they could regulate it. They could uh, get the price down. You wouldn't have people killing each other for turf to sell it on, or you wouldn't have people robbing you to get money to pay high prices. 
Well, you realize we're talking about marijuana, and we're talking about marijuana, not not heroin or methamphetamine no, or crack that's cocaine. What I said. Happy A is a nickname yeah. for it. Marijuana. Yeah. Okay. How would you feel about having a store down the corner from where you live? Wouldn't bother me one bit. Okay. Good enough. Thanks to call four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Sarah in Milwaukee. Sarah, you're on WTMJ. Hi. Hi, Sarah. I feel like there's already a. a, a, a weed store on every corner anyway and it's much dangerous because it's illegal you got people coming and going if you had it at a store a regular store people could go come safely take care of the, you know buy their weed and, and go home and sit and relax you've got liquor stores on every corner yep. and i believe that's much more dangerous well i guess be- the liquor store is more dangerous because why because people get drunk they act crazy i don't know it's just been my in, in my life, drunks are, are, I don't know, I don't want to say all people act crazy, but when they drink, they get violent, they're obnoxious. Most people I know smoke marijuana are more relaxed. Right. You know, and then, and on top of that, you've got older people like um, my father. He was in the war, and he's got bad eyes or whatever. He still likes to smoke. He has to go to an illegal place to buy marijuana, and I just don't feel like he should have to do that. You know, there's nothing wrong with it. And believe it or not, they're already like probably four or five on every block that somebody could go to and buy it. <laughs> yeah, just they're just th- thanks for going. It's just the guys in the trench coats and they're in the alleys. Okay, four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I find this to be a fascinating conversation. Everybody out of the box right now says, "No, we we don't care if you want to if you want to put it in the strip mall right down the street from us, along with the Jimmy Johns and the haircut place and the Planet Fitness and whatever. Uh, we'll we'll do it. All right, four one four seven nine Nine one six twenty. Is that how you feel? Let's talk to. Let's see. Let's talk to Kathy in Beaver Dam. Hi, Kathy. Hi. Um, I wouldn't have a problem with a uh, marijuana store. Um, we got liquor stores and, and vaping and smoke shops everywhere, and I don't think that marijuana is any different vice than the rest of them. Do you? In fact, I think it's probably less of a vice than than liquor. Mm-hmm. I, I'm kind of curious, and this, this is a little bit far off, but uh, how do you feel about vaping? You know, there's a lot of talk about vaping that's been going on and pushes to try to ban that and things like that. I have an Airbnb, and I ban smoking and, and vaping in there. I don't want to be around it. Okay. I think, I, actually, I think people that vape look stupid. Okay. And so I would assume that for your you know, Airbnb, you'd, say, you'd do the same thing for pot. You wouldn't let people be smoking pot in there. Outside. Outside. Got they it. They can smoke outside. They can't smoke inside. Got it. Okay, thanks to call, 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let's talk to, um, all right, let's see. We've got uh, Dan in Oak Creek. Dan, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hello. Okay, what do you think? Would you would it, you, would it bother you if you had a pot store down the street from where you live? No. Uh, and basically, when I, when I look at that, you've got your guidelines and restrictions on Things like liquor stores, you can't be so close to a school, or, you know, that, that type. So you'd have similar regulations. And it's unfortunate when, when you look at, you say, a pot store, you, you get this tremendous negative image of some, you know, weirdo coming in and, and mm. going to smoke his pot. But many of the, from what I, I've seen, many of your recreational pot users they're the guy who works in the office and the bank mm-hmm. and the grocery store. Mm-hmm. You know, they're, they're the same people you're meeting every day. So it's, 
it's no different than going to a liquor store. And I, I, I think it's even less dangerous than the guy who goes into the bar, hammers down the beers, and then gets in his car and drives home. Yeah, presumably you're not. Um, presumably you're you're not going to go in, you know, buy your marijuana gummy bears or whatever. Pot, you know, eat six of them and then get behind the wheel of the car. Presumably, I mean, some people might, but presumably you're not. So you're saying it's probably a, a more of an asset than like a liquor store in the neighborhood. An asset? Well, a more of an asset, asset but it's it's less it's dangerous. Not going to be this big negative thing that that it's it's being pushed to be. And that you've got, even if you take, you know, you take a liquor store, you take uh, uh, a pot store, take a drug store. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of things in a drug store that can get people screwed up. So. Well, yeah, I mean, th- right, but right, but, but presumably you, you have to have a prescription. I mean, presumably you're you're not going to get the prescription for the oxycodone and you're going to go in and, like, take four of them, chase it with some Jack Daniels Tennessee whiskey and then get behind the wheel of the car. I, I find this to be interesting because, like I say, that my experience in Amsterdam and we – I window shopped. We did not go into any of the pot stores, just like we, we walked through the red light district, and <laughs> I'm not even sure it was window shopping. It's, oh, this is kind of how the red light district is. But, I mean, I stood on the outside in the, the, the typical pot store, and this was the one, the storefront I went in front of in Vail, too. I mean, there, it, it, it's not just that they're selling marijuana and all, and it's not just you know marijuana that you smoke it's you know chewable marijuana and marijuana candies and then there's all the a lot of them had like the fancy glassware and the different you know things that you could smoke it in you know it, it was other than the overwhelming aroma that you know told you you were in front of a, a pot store i mean i'm not saying that these were particularly run down or sleazy and it's not like um Again, it's not like you felt necessarily unsafe. I I do find it interesting because I want to be honest. um, Regardless of how you feel about marijuana, I'm, I'm not. I don't think I would be thrilled with the idea that, gee, you know, right down the block, within fifty or seventy-five or a hundred or two hundred feet, for three hundred feet from where you live, you know, there's the pot store. But you know, maybe that's just you know my bias that is coming out. I will tell you this: jam phone lines for the entire section, and lots and lots of tweets, and and this is something for people to consider, including maybe some legislators. Um, in a random sample of the folks listening to the Wagner Show right now, it's it's like a hundred percent people saying no, no problem. Let let's let's have the pot store. It's no worse than bars, huh? Something to consider. This is Jeff Wagner. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. I admit there are stories, and this is one of them, that make my head want to explode. Imagine a teacher telling you, don't do something. You telling the teacher, what do you mean, don't do something? I, I'm going to do what I want to do. And then imagine the teacher not being able to impose any sort of discipline. Now imagine that this is a 10-year-old. All right, California. And again, a, a lot of this stuff is coming out of California, but it could just as easily be Madison, Wisconsin. The governor of California just signed a new law into effect. The law says that California schools are no longer able to suspend students in elementary and middle school for disrupting school activities or willfully defying the authority of teachers or administrators. 
So, all right, bottom line is, if and, and this, this extends, so you've got kindergartners through eighth graders. Now, you can suspend them if they engage in violence or commit crimes, but willful defiance. And here's the way this has, for example, been playing out in some of the schools. You have a seventh grader or a couple seventh graders who are in the back of the classroom. They are on their cell phones. The teacher is trying to teach whatever the seventh grade teacher is trying to teach, and they notice that there's a couple kids in the background that are on their cell phones. The teacher says, hey, put down the cell phones and pay attention. The kids refuse to do this. Now, what? What, what do you mean? No, we're, we're on our cell phone. We're communicating here. No, we're not going to do that. The teacher can now no longer, the kids can no longer be suspended for willful defiance. In a sense, it's telling the teacher, you know, screw you, I'm not going to do this. Now, the teacher can ask that the kids leave the room and go down and report to the vice principal or report to the library, but if the kids don't do that, they can no longer be suspended for, again, willfully defying the instructions, the orders of the teacher or the authority figure. And one of the ways this is playing out in the real world does have to do with cell phones. I mean, the kids in the class using cell phones, but it's broader than that. Not paying attention, talking back, being disrespectful. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, I admit that I never thought we were going to necessarily have to have a conversation like this because, you know, when, when I was a kid back in the day, you, you wouldn't think of lipping off to a teacher, much less if you're in elementary school, you wouldn't think of doing that. But if you did do that, you understood that there were going to be consequences, consequences at home when mom and dad found out, but also consequences in school. And yet now, in America, in 2019, the idea is if you decide you want to be willfully defiant, ignoring orders from teachers, being disruptive, refusing to follow instructions, refusing to get off your cell phone, you can't be suspended. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Maybe it's just me. But I think we're go- we've gone through the looking glass on 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 this thing. I mean, if I were a kid, a second grade classroom, and I I had a comic book or something in the back, and the teacher said we don't allow comic books here, and then came and I'm reading a comic book while they're trying to teach math or whatever, they're going to grab the comic book, they're going to take that away, and they're going to send me down to the principal's office, and there's going to be consequences. Now, apparently, as a matter of law. You can't have consequences. Is that going to make the schools a better place to learn by not allowing troublemakers, disruptive students to be suspended for willful disobedience? You know, is it going to make it a better place for the kids who want to learn to learn? Or is it going to make it a worse place? 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I mean, I, I just, I fail to see how giving in and saying we're not going to be able to significantly discipline the troublemakers, 
and the disruptors is going to make it easier for teachers or going to make it more conducive for the kids who want to learn. But maybe I'm just old-fashioned. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss in a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Headline in the L.A. Times. California schools can no longer suspend students for being on their phones. Now what? I mean, t- just imagine, you're a seventh grade teacher, you've got a kid in the back who's talking on their cell phone while you are trying to teach, they can no longer be suspended for doing that. You can tell them to leave the classroom and report to the principal's office or whatever. Well, maybe they'll do it, maybe they won't, but being willfully defiant is no longer a basis for suspension. Really? 414-799-1620. Let's start with uh, Jim in New Berlin. Jim, you're on WTMJ. Hey, um, you know, I think the other side of it is is um, for the, the teachers and or the employees, it doesn't make it a very good workplace environment when you don't have any control over what's going on. No kidding. I mean, or, or let's, or, or what about the other students? I mean, let's say you've right. got a class of 20 and you've got five kids that could care less about being there and, you know, they're, they're just hanging out, you know, being disruptive. You know, all right, if the teacher's got to spend all the time dealing with them, they're in the background checking their fantasy football leagues or whatever on their, you know, on their cell phones. You, you're spending all your time dealing with those five. What about the rights of the other 15 that are in the classroom? Right, and and the frustration for the teacher that, you know, they have to deal with this and not being able to do what their actual job is, which is teaching. Yeah, well, exactly, right. I mean, I guess, look, uh, one of the things that generated this was, and again, we, we see everything through a racial prism. In California, they found that what they, a, a disproportionate number of minority students were being suspended for willful defiance. So their answer to that was, okay, well, we're going to do away with suspensions for willful defiance. You know, instead of simply saying, okay, well, maybe is there an underlying issue here? You know, are we being racist? Are we implying different standards? Or is it just possible that for whatever reasons, this is, this is what's happening? You know, you're getting more willful defiance from one group of people than another. But their answer in California is, okay, well, we're concerned about this. So we're not going to, we're not going to suspend people for willful defiance anymore. Stay on your cell phones. It's okay with us. Talk back to the teacher. Disrupt the classroom. Don't worry. You know, you're just going to be back in school the next day doing the same damn thing. I don't know. If I'm if I'm a parent and I'm trying to get my kid to learn and I want my kid to be able to do math and I want my kid to be able to read and I want my kid to be doing well in school so that maybe they can better themselves. And and there's four or five kids that are disrupting the whole classroom. I'm like, wait a second. You know, what about my kids' rights? 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Bill and Racine. Bill, good afternoon. Uh, good afternoon. Um, this kind of fits right into where when I, I adopted two foster boys, and now uh, when they were two and three, now they're 24 and 26. And no matter how you raise them, you're always going to have a problem with teenagers, uh, you know, whether they be yours or not. But uh, in any case, uh, especially because you're, uh, you're adopting them, you have to sign up a thing saying you will never abuse these kids. So I certainly sign that. But then they, you know, when they got to a certain age, they always were defiant. And if you do this, I'll call the police on you. 
well, because I can't touch them or do anything. I said, I said, I already called the police. And he says, no, you didn't. <laughs> well, guess what? I said, when he, the doorbell rings, you go answer the door. And I did it to both of my boys. And after that, they never threatened me again. But I call it, it's really what, what it is, it's parental abuse. Just like teacher abuse. It's really, a, it's reverse abuse. Right. Yeah, you're right. You're you're empowering the you know you're you're saying to the kids you're the ones that are going to be in control of the situation. You want to be defiant. You want to talk back. You want to show no respect. You want to disrupt everybody else. That's okay. We're going to side with you. How how can that you know how can somebody go to school as a teacher and do their job under those circumstances? It even gets worse than that. Uh, for one boy, I had. Uh, he, he, I called the police, and the police threatened me and saying, I could give you a $160 ticket for calling me because there really is nothing going on here. And I said to, to him, I said, well, do you want me to call you after the fact? <laughs> right after he attacks me. Yeah, thank, I mean, look, it, I, and I, I, I understand that there's just kind of challenges that are out there, but th- th- this idea that we're we're not going to allow – routine disciplinary things for disruptions. Now, if, if, for example, if in California they think there's too many of this type of student or that type of student being suspended for being willfully defiant, all right, maybe you want to tighten the guidelines and maybe you want to come up with alternatives to suspensions. But to to simply say we're not going to do this anymore and if you want to talk back and you want to ignore the teachers and you want to play on your cell phones during classroom time, we're going to look the other way. I, I just, I admit, I don't get it, and I don't see how it makes the learning environment better. But yet, this is the trend nowadays. We don't want to hold the kids accountable. You know, we want to, again, it's it's this touchy-feely type of stuff. If the kid is on his cell phone and being disruptive, it's obviously somebody else's problem. Well, maybe not. Maybe it's the kid's problem. This is Jeff Wagner. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. All right, I'm curious as to whether or not we have been engaging in subtle racism for years and years and years, and whether I'm guilty of it, and Gru is guilty of it, my producer, and you are guilty of it. Okay, here, here here's the, the story. A while back, I got sent to the grocery store. It was one of those deals where my wife was making dinner and had forgotten something at the grocery store, so I get sent over to pick up the one object. Now, I don't know about you, but I I always hate this because I'm always afraid that I'm going to get the wrong item. And it doesn't matter how specific you describe this to me. It's just like I get intimidated when I go into these grocery stores. But my, my instruction was, okay, go over to the grocery store, okay, and, and pick up this particular type of sauce. All right, that was it. Where where will I find this? And she says, well, it should be in the Asian food aisle of the grocery store. So I go across to the grocery store. I'm looking around. I see Asian food aisle. And I go down, and, and there, there, right where I was told it was, is the particular sauce. Hey, great. I, I Take it. I purchase it. I go home, and you know, miracle of miracles, I have I have achieved my my mission. But it made it easier for me to achieve my mission and find this because she told me it was in the Asian food aisle, 
and I didn't think anything of it. It's it's the Asian food aisle. If you go to grocery stores, you often see that they have certain aisles that are devoted to various ethnic foods. I mean, again, it, it, my example was an Asian food aisle, but sometimes you see you know others as as well. All right. I bring this up because there's a piece in the Washington Post today that says that by by going through the ethnic food aisle, I am guilty of subtle racism. Let me read you a portion of the story. To millions of shoppers, the supermarket is just a place to stock up on produce and pantry staples to keep the family fed. But to others especially children of immigrants who may already feel pushed to the margins of the American mainstream, the supermarket can be just another place to experience the sting of their outsider status. The sting occurs whenever they walk down the ethnic food aisle. The section of the supermarket that is, to some, plays out like a remnant of the Jim Crow era when laws established separate facilities for African Americans in the post-Reconstruction South, sometimes known as the International Food Aisle or even the Asian or Latino aisles. These rows can come across to the shoppers they seemingly target as de facto segregation, another kind of separate but equal policy that marginalized African Americans for generations. Um, and then it goes on, and there's this food critic. His name is, you know, David Chang, and he starts talking about this is something that that has to has to go. And you walk down, and you'll have a supermarket that has a an Asian food aisle, or it has an aisle that say Japanese food aisle or section, or Latino food aisle, or uh, again Chinese food aisle, or whatever. He says this is subtle racism, and these supermarkets have to stop doing this. Our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, I, I understand maybe this is something that I'm just not sensitive of because I'm, I'm, I'm not Asian. Um, I'm not Latino. But I guess when I go to the supermarket, like I say, I try to avoid this type of stuff like the plague, and I am trying to find things. And if I understand that, for example, I'm looking for something special because we're preparing an Asian dish, and I'm looking for the part of the supermarket aisle that has the authentic Asian the, the, the products, okay, whether it's noodles or whatever it's going to be, I find it to be extremely helpful that the supermarket has separated this out into, okay, this is the area where if I know I'm looking for something that I, I got to find because it's going to be an ingredient that's going to be used in the Chinese dinner or it's the, the Asian dinner or, you know, whatever, I find it to be a convenience that it's there as opposed to, oh, this is racist because now you have an ethnic food aisle. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And actually, since I read this story a day or two ago, I've been trying to think about this. Is this an example of, uh, again, somebody that's overly sensitive? Or is, is there a legitimate point here that if you're, I don't know, a, a Chinese-American, are you offended if you walk into a supermarket aisle and it says you know, Asian food or Chinese food or what, whatever or international food? By segregating the food, are we creating a second class of citizens or are we just making it easier for people to find what what they want? 414-799-1620. Let's start with Ann in Milwaukee. You're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. 
Good afternoon. Um, I disagree with that because I, the point I'm trying to make is what, what about people that come from other countries, such as, you know, immigrants that come from other countries that set up their own grocery stores throughout the sea? I mean, have specialty markets all sure. over the place. And wouldn't that be, I mean, along the same lines? I mean, they wouldn't, that's not making anybody feel like they're alienated or isolated because that's something that they choose to do. Well, well, right. Or, or just all, I mean, I guess I, I just can't get past the, the basic thing. Okay. There are, there are some foods that say are, are traditional Mexican foods, for example. And, you know, that they, they consist of certain staples. I mean, we, we all, you know, we, we all know what, what those are when we go to certain restaurants. So if, if you're a grocery store, and you have, you know, people that might be wanting to, you know, prepare meals involving the, these basic ingredients. What's wrong with saying, you know, we have an aisle devoted to our, our Mexican food section? So everybody, regardless of what your nationality is, knows where to go so you don't have to wander through aisle after aisle looking for stuff. You say, hey, I'm making the Mexican food dinner. This is the aisle. Here, I want to buy it. How could that be racist? It's not. And I, 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 I feel the same way. That you do, it's not racist at all. Um, no, thanks for. I mean, it's just, it, it's just, it's a convenience, and this idea of separate but but equal. I mean, is it any different, really, than than saying, okay, this is going to be the aisle where we have, I don't know, the the cookies and and whatever. I mean, it's just we want to make it easier. This is the aisle where we have the frozen foods. This is the aisle where we've got the chips. This is the aisle where we've got the salad dressings. This is the aisle where we have the particular ethnic foods that you might be looking for. How could that be racist? Let's talk to Jim in East Troy. Jim, you're on WTMJ. Yeah, how you doing? Real well, thank you, sir. I mean, I'm reading this story, and I guess it never occurred to me that, gee, if, I, if I'm preparing a Mexican dinner and the supermarket has an aisle that says Mexican on it, that somehow this is some sort of subtle racism. It never occurred to me that that could be the case. <laughs> yeah, I don't know about that. Have you ever heard of Cermax? Sure. Yeah, go in there. They've got Russian. They've got Italian. They've got German. They've got Polish. I mean, you name it, just about everyone under the sun. I love going there. Well, right, because you have all the different nationalities, and, and you know, and, and it, it is. There's there's unique food to different nationalities, and all the grocery stores are doing is they're making it easier for you to, to find that. Let's use your example of Russian. You want to prepare some sort of tradition Russian meal with some of the spices or whatever? You, know, you don't have to wander around the whole store. You go to the section that's devoted to the Russian cuisine. Yeah, I have to, uh, I have to go to Google, and I have to figure out some of the stuff because if you don't know Russian, you can't figure out what. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Right. I mean, again, it's, it's this idea that's there, but I mean, I, and again, commonly you, you do find it. I, I think there's a lot of grocery stores and a lot of the, the big grocery stores, you know, without mentioning names, they do have aisles where, I mean, it, it's, it's the ethnic food aisle. And maybe this will say, uh, again, you know, Mexican food. And it, it's, I mean, I don't think that's racist. Or you do see Asian food. You know, if you're preparing, if you're looking for, cert, for certain types of sauces or whatever, you know, oh, okay, I, I'm preparing an, an Asian chicken dish. I need a particular type of sauce or I want a particular type of noodle or whatever. You, you know that that's where it's going to be. It's segregated in that aisle because it's distinct and different from maybe be like the regular noodles or something and I, I guess you can argue one way or the other does it make sense to have those noodles mixed in with the other type of noodles but but the idea that it's racist or that you know having an ethnic food aisle is something people should be offended about huh I mean you know just just give me 
you know, give me a break. <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, really. I mean, it's just I. I don't know about you, but I just want it when I go into the grocery store. I want it to be, you know, easier to find. You know what it is that I'm looking for, Christy in New Berlin. Christy, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi there. Hi, Christy. I'm I'm Puerto Rican, and my grandma's been trying to teach me true what she calls Puerto Rican cooking, so that I know what it's like when she grew up. Sure. But she she tells me a lot of the foods have been Americanized, so don't buy that. Go into this aisle and buy the true Puerto Rican variety of it. And if they combine everything, they'd probably get rid of those brands and and segments yeah. of the true food because they're putting it all together now and they're like well i already got a black bean don't buy this brand of black bean because this one's cheaper yeah spend more to get the true authentic flavors that come from our country well, well right and and you know that when you're going into that ethnic food aisle you know that that's what you're going to find and it's not a question of separate but equal or segregated it's like hey this is a specialty my grandma's trying to teach me how to cook with the things that she learned to cook with this is where it is you know she she's from Puerto Rico this is authentic Puerto Rican food i'm going to this aisle where they tell me i know that that's what i'm looking for how can there be anything wrong with that i don't find anything wrong with it and i've been learning to cook what she grew up on because of it, and I just know they would take it if they blend it all together. I'd never find those. Well, <laughs> right. Right, exactly. No, no, thanks for calling. Again, that that that's that is my story. I get sent over, and it was a particular sauce that I was instructed to find, and. It's going to be in the Asian food aisle. It was in the Asian food aisle. This wasn't a knock on on Asian people. It wasn't separate but equal. It was, all right, we're trying to do some authentic cooking. You need to go into this aisle as opposed to the other stuff to make sure you get exactly what it is that I want. I don't know. Big story. I'll, I'll send out a tweet on this one. I mean, it's just – and I look, I appreciate that there is – and I say this a lot. There's real racism in this world. I understand that. I get it. I think it needs to be condemned when you find it. But this idea that, gee, we should be offended and ashamed of walking down an ethnic food aisle and, and purchasing, you know, ethnic food and having it singled out. At some point in time, it's people that are bothered by this have way too much time on their hands.